I've learned so much about it, like on a personal note and how to sort of train myself into not worrying so much and accepting that, you know, things can be out of your control and these things always work out and, you know, once one door closes, another one sort of opens. I'm your host, Sarah Fretwell, and you're listening to The Ripples Podcast. This is the place where you can find inspiring stories and unique insights from founders in the health, wellness and tech space. These sort of conversations have created ripples of change in my life, and I hope they do the same for you. Today, I'm so excited to chat to my good friend, Kusha Kalsari, who I've known for many years. Founder of Cantina Eats, which is a natural, vegan, gluten-free, South American, cantina-style chimichurri sauce and marinade. We'll be chatting about all things startups, mindset, failures, wins, and much more. Hey, Kush. So weird, but so lovely to have you on my podcast. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. How are you doing? Strange to uh, jump on a podcast with you. I've been friends for, what, now 10 years? I know. It's crazy we've been friends for 10 years. So just a little bit of background. Me and Kush actually met at um, Leeds University um, in halls, in our lovely halls. Um, yeah. Yeah, I still remember those days. It feels, feels very old. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, and now you've kind of gone on to start, you know, your own own brand, start your own chimichurri brand. But you, you went on um, to, after qualifying, after graduating at Leeds, you went on to um, train with Ernest Young? Yeah, so kind of, yeah, university, obviously you were there from the beginning and then, um, yeah, third year, moved abroad to uh, South America for the year. Um, that's where I met Miles, who I started Cantina with. Um, came back, finished university, and then, yeah, took a, another year off because, yeah, traveling such a yeah. important thing for me. And then, um, yeah, came back and started to become a chartered accountant, which has definitely been helpful in starting a business. Um, and then, yeah, worked in insurance accounting for about, God, five years after I left university and then started Cantina during it. And um, yeah, it's been about four years now that Cantina has been running. And um, yeah, it's, it's sort of nicely growing. Um, obviously, difficulties of being an entrepreneur, especially around coronavirus and those sort of things. But yeah, I mean, at the moment, I'm kind of doing a bit of both working as an accountant while doing my startup alongside Mars as well. So let's go back to um, your time away in South America. So you went over, did you study in um, Argentina? You no, I actually, Miles and I met in Chile, actually. It was, um, we moved to Chile and then, because it was around the corner from Argentina, we ended up going forward and back pretty much. It was kind of like a weekend getaway going to Mendoza and then spent about a month or two in Argentina together. And um, yeah, it was, Sort of, yeah, where our kind of friendship started, having, you know, large barbecues and beers with friends and, um, yeah, just kind of living the student life um, in South America. And then, yeah, kind of, yeah, the barbecues and the cuisine were just, like, so exciting and fell in love with chimichurri. So chimichurri, just to give you a bit of a background, is a South American sauce um, most commonly found in Argentina, Uruguay, southern Brazil, and it's just kind of, a staple there it's sort of like sort of like how we kind of use ketchup with everything in the uk they'll, they'll just use chimichurri on you know your hot dogs your steaks 
your sandwiches and this sort of the kind of thing you see in every fridge in, in Argentina, Brazil and Uruguay. And yeah, we just kind of loved it so much. Once we came back, we were sort of, you know, having barbecues and stuff and thought, you know, let's see if we can make a sort of product here and see if we can get it, you know, supermarket ready as such, something that's kind of, you know, largely a home recipe, see if we can take it more into the British mainstream was kind of the goal off the back of that. Yeah. So was it, so had you always wanted to kind of found, um, found a business or was it literally just an idea that you had sort of one drunken night out with Miles? Uh, a bit of both. I mean, my kind of lifestyle, I think suits the sort of business um, styles, this kind of lack of structure, unpredictable nature of it. Um, constantly learning and jumping through different hoops like that that kind of stuff really excites me but yeah I mean it was basically the fact that I mean Miles and I I mean we were close friends but it'd be the kind of ones where we see each other a few times a year at birthdays and kind of group gatherings and stuff and then it just took one sort of family and friend barbecue and we were making chimichurri and getting sort of yeah huge huge great hugely great feedback people saying oh you need to take this to market that we were like yeah yeah let's do it let's do it and then woke up the next day and actually did it um Miles, Miles yeah it was crazy sort of starting there and yeah it was definitely entering a business I didn't know Miles didn't know either I mean I'm a chartered accountant by background Miles worked in marketing so we had no real food experience between us and um yeah it was definitely a challenge learning all the kind of rules and regulations and everything that needs to go into making a food product that's viable for UK supermarkets so, so yes, I, I can imagine there's like a, a ton of food regulations in the industry and it's probably just a total minefield. As soon as you start, you're like, whoa, so much you've got to learn. Um, so how did you how did you learn about it? Do you think your your career as a chartered accountant also gave you a bit of a sort of head start? Yeah, I, I'd say the chartered accountancy helped with sort of the business side of things. So, you know, the numbers, the kind of stuff you hear on Dragon's Den where, you know, you've got to know your numbers and know your projections and things like that. It just kind of made, you know, I was looking through my notes trying to work out pricing strategies and marketing strategies and, you know, the accounts kind of do themselves because I'm used to doing accounts all the time. Um, definitely a cost saving there. And, um, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to speak to people and kind of a, business level when you have a business background even if you're in an exciting industry like food um but yeah no it was, it was it was tough to learn i mean obviously there's so many great resources out there one, one resource we used and i still use this day was the food hub it's a group on facebook where you've got thousands and thousands of people that um just share information answer queries using their experience it's just like a really nice community feel so the community is really strong in the sense that they will help each other. They don't see it so much as like a rivalry. I mean, I've, I've had help from, you know, Holland and Grace. They've been great to us, um, helping us originally get into as nature intended and loads of other places like Dr. Wills. I mean, even though we are also a source, they've helped us so much along the way. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's things you can go to like the bread and jam festivals and um, get togethers where you can meet other entrepreneurs that are dealing with the same sort of, crises that you're constantly dealing with and yeah it's just like a really good community and a good way to sort of learn your way through the food industry and stay on top of everything yeah that sounds it sounds like a good resource so it's called the food hub 
Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, and so did you start out with some savings that you were like, okay, we're going to both put money in or did you start, you know, go the whole Kickstarter route and, and get funding? No, we, we've always been um, self-funded. It was kind of, um, yeah, we've always, we've never really gone out to market. It's one of those tough ones. Well, we did once. We went to Dragon's Den, but that didn't end favorably never never aired so i can't really talk about it too much but um <laughs> i think the, the bbc owned that footage but um that was the only time we've ever considered investors i've spoke to some potential sort of people that work in investing recently and um i think the general feel for it is that we need to take the product and the business to the next level before people are interested in it. Um, yeah. At the moment, you know, the value in the business isn't so great. And, um, you know, if I was to give up a large percentage of the business for a bit of cash flow, it will be worth so much more maybe in a year's time. I guess right now we're kind of getting into our busy season, a barbecue season when chimichurri is definitely on the menu. So, um, you know, if we have a really good summer, will undoubtedly have run out of money by the end of the summer. So yeah, maybe there will be a kick. Uh, I guess it may be too late for a Kickstarter, but yeah, some kind of crowdfunding if the uh, if the winter summer goes well. And yeah, we definitely have a business on our hands. Sounds awesome. I think we'll have a pretty good summer judging by the, the temperature now. Um, so you didn't yeah. get funding, but you managed to still get your products into really great shops. So I think Whole Foods, um and then you, you did a trial at sainsbury's can you talk about how it was to get into whole foods because i know it's a really they have strict quality um guidelines and yeah. sainsbury's is probably even harder right yeah definitely i mean with whole foods we, we got a lot of help from um a guy called marcus from the artisan food club he's basically sort of a um yeah he, he kind of pushes these startup brands and gives them sort of an opportunity and he, he managed to do the early negotiations with Whole Foods and get us in there. Um, yeah, I mean, what was lucky for us was that, you know, we did see the opportunity with Chimichurri. We could see that, you know, people are traveling more to South America, people are becoming more accustomed to South American cuisine and restaurants like Gaucho's popping up, pizza places putting Chimichurri on pizzas. And it just felt like a really good time to sort of start a Chimichurri product. I mean, it took us two years to get the recipe right and to pass all the sort of, you know, food safety regulations. So it definitely wasn't easy and, you know, it definitely took a lot of time and effort, but um, our kind of, our kind of view on it was sort of do all the hard groundwork up front, make it sort of future proof, invest the time, invest the money, make it future proof. So then you don't have to think about it so much. And yeah, the product's been exactly the same for four years now. And, um, we just did a rebrand and um, slightly tweaked the recipe just to kind of bring it up to date and further match the British palette. But yeah, it was sort of one of those ones where we tried to do everything up front before speaking to anyone, got ready, got into Whole Foods, which is like a huge boost for us. But it's just amazing going there and sampling and meeting all these amazing people that are willing to try new and exciting foods. And yeah, they're just so, yeah, so friendly and, you know, we'd go there one day, sit stand there for two hours giving chimichurri with bread and suddenly, you know, after a couple of hours we sold thirty bottles of chimichurri, which is just, which for a startup at that level is just insane. Nice. And then, you know, the Sainsbury's one was, yeah, a kind of pinch yourself moment. I mean, when we started uh 
Cantina Chimichurri, we sort of, our kind of goals were, you know, get onto Dragon's Den, which we did. Um, obviously didn't go well, but never mind. And then <laughs> um, the other one was to see ourselves on the UK um, national supermarket shelf. And yeah, just the opportunity we got through the, um, what was it called? The Future Brands team, the Trial Bay. Um, seeing it there last summer was just like a huge moment. And, you know, even for like friends and family to see it on those shelves, they just like, you know, the pride they have and the excitement it brings to the business. It's just, yeah, I mean, a huge opportunity. And hopefully, you know, we'll do our work now and get back onto the shelves one day and with a real full-time listing. But yeah, I mean, that was definitely a huge highlight for us. I can't wait to, because I've been kind of going um, around to, to, Whole Fo- to Whole Foods and like spotting on the shelves, but it would be awesome to like finally see it in Sainsbury's. Um, yeah. I'm a, a steak eater and normally I just kind of have like a mushroom sauce or whatever, but um, yeah, I tried chimichurri at, um, I can't remember where it was. It was like a little restaurant in Richmond. I think it's mini gauchos or something. Yeah, there's, there's gauchos in Richmond, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's the one on the riverside. Um, and yeah, exactly. It's really good really good yeah it's, it's amazing i mean that's what got us so excited to start this little business <laughs> yeah so talk about the um the whole manufacturing because um i so you you obviously had this idea of what you wanted your chimichurri to taste like when you came back from um from chile and yeah. argentina so how did you go about trying to make a product that tasted the same as you know how you'd experience tasting over there and what was the journey like and yeah the manufacture process yeah I guess so we kind of when Mars and I met up um to sort of start the journey um he had his own recipe I had my own recipe and um yeah we liked certain things of each one and then in the end yeah we went with some something kind of in the middle of two recipes and that was sort of our starting point and I mean, we did waste a lot of time. It might have been, you know, the fact that we were kind of young and naive, just like in our kitchens, kind of messing around with recipes, one day throwing shallots in, one day changing this chili, using different oils, using different types of herbs, whether they're dry herbs, fresh herbs, um, different vinegars, white wine vinegar, red wine vinegar. And it was just like endless trial after trial after trial, trying to get the perfect sort of consistency. Because I think that's, that's probably what kind of scared people off selling chimichurri in the retail world is, is it's difficult to get the product to not be too oily because in a restaurant you get it and it's quite oily and um you know you can kind of spoon out the bits that you want but um when you're pouring it out of a uh, when you're pouring it out of a jar it's, it's not so easy um you, you'll end up with a bit of an oily mess um so yeah that took a long time but yeah so we basically probably waited a year trying a thousand types of styles of chimichurri taking it to chefs around london that were just so kind like oh, we we're going to moo cantina on um brick lane and proper argentinian chef like tried it and he was like this isn't chimichurri i like it but this isn't chimichurri which kind of just shows the level of passion behind the product and um you know how everyone's got their own family recipe and his was very vinegary whereas i'm not a huge fan of vinegar but the vinegar is necessary not chimichurri because it's um it's natural it's gluten-free it's vegan so um to keep it all natural and free of um unnatural preservatives we have to put vinegar in there to 
keep the pH level correct so that um, you know it has the shelf life. So we did that, and then we eventually just bit the bullet. I mean, like I said, we're self-funded, and um, we tried to cut costs everywhere we could. Ended up getting a kind of food scientist in for two half days. He was he was lovely. Um, his name was George from uh, kind of yeah North London, and um, he kind of helped us get the recipe to stabilize as such and make it more professional so we could go to a manufacturer um so what is a food scientist is that someone that just comes in and kind of looks at your product and goes like this isn't going to be stable or yeah he kind of just sort of tweaks the recipe here and there to kind of make it a consistent product um because yeah. he like imagine he's like the middleman that can sort of get your product from a kitchen product to a manufacturer ready product sort of thing so that you know the manufacturer has their starting point it was stuff like you know we messed around with you know zamps and gum and um different levels of vinegar to try and get the right ph level like this is all stuff we didn't know about and um yeah it was great um great help but then once we got into the manufacturer obviously when you start producing on a much bigger scale the whole thing changes so then you kind of go back a step and then you're like okay cool um, we need to change this amount of garlic, change this amount of oregano, change this amount of parsley. And um, then you get your product and then you see, okay, how much will this cost to make? And then you see the line and then you're like, okay, well, from looking at the market, that product will be too expensive with the idea of making it ready for the supermarkets in advance. So then you take things out and um, tweak things accordingly to sort of save costs and such and mm-hmm. you know for some for example the first thing that went was the shallots like I love shallots and chimichurri because it gave a nice little crunch and a new texture to it but it wasn't quite necessary we could just kind of tweak the garlic and get the same sort of effect from it um so yeah you know then you go through that journey so you've done the sort of at home recipe building then you do the get a professional on board to sort of make it take it to the next level then you're in a manufacturer and then you're building a source of scale and then you're thinking okay now i need to think commercially where can we sort of save costs and um you know get things uh, ready to go and then yeah finally once it's ready then you're you know dealing with the bottling trying to get it consistent so that you know you've got the same amount of herbs in each one the same sort of level and yeah it's, it's just a real long journey and um you know if we had more money we could have definitely saved a lot of time, but we're glad we took the time to sort of really learn the product and the process so that we can, you know, help in the future with, you know, tweaks we need to make here and there and really learn and become a bit more self-sufficient as such. Yeah. And so if you're trying to, um, just talking about the, you know, the actual ingredients and obviously when you started out you were getting into sort of more like boutique places I guess um yeah like artisan butchers and those sort of things exactly so but when you're trying to get into you know like a a commercial mass supermarket like Sainsbury's does does that change the fundamental ingredient you know need of the products no not really um we we wanted to keep it the same I, I guess you know some people might make the decision of I can do a high-end product and a low-cost product and I don't know I mean Miles is much stronger on the marketing side of things but 
I don't think it's quite easy to sort of market yourself when you're selling a low cost brand with a high price brand. It, it just kind of, I don't know, you're, you're better at this sort of stuff than I am, but um, it, it will kind of cloud the sort of message you're sending. Because mm-hmm. um, Chimichurri, yeah, I mean, it, generally speaking in the UK, it's seen as a high end product um, because you see it in high end steak restaurants. But mm-hmm. we wanted to make it the product of kind of every day. So, you know, have it on your poached eggs on toast, have it with your avocado on toast, you know, have it with um, your pizza, your bacon sandwich, your, you know, use it to marinate um, tofu and make kebabs with that. Like we wanted it to, you know, even put it on salads. Like we wanted to make a product that was like highly versatile, which had multiple use. And yeah, that's, that's kind of, decision we made but yeah no nothing changed between whole foods the artisan butchers and sainsbury's the only thing that changes is you know the price the price of the product um artisan butchers kind of you know can charge a little bit more but with that at your cost increase because you're delivering you know single cases of the product so your costs in delivering to the butchers increases but then you know something like sainsbury's you send thousands of bottles of chimichurri to one place and then they distribute it between themselves so you know rather than thinking the, i'm sending product to 70 different sainsbury's you're sending it to one place the your costs on the delivery are 170th of what they would be if you were dealing with 70 butchers so you know those sort of things is what leads to the difference in prices between going to a butcher and going to sort of like a sainsbury's i mean generally speaking we probably make very similar amounts of money um the only difference is the cost have moved sort of thing okay and and, and their margins change because you know a butcher will have less sales so will want a bigger margin on the product because they've got much less shelf space so they need to maximize their returns on the space that they have whereas you know a supermarket generally speaking obviously it's highly competitive to get into a supermarket but you know they've got the guaranteed footfall they've got the space so you know they're more interested in the actual absolute return on investment so you know i could sell two bottles of chimichurri in a butcher and sainsbury's could sell three bottles of chimichurri and they'll both make the same money and it would probably take as much effort to do both you know that sort of thing Mm. so it's harder to get into these commercial supermarkets but it's a lot easier once you're in and it's a lot more sort of lucrative Um, uh maybe not lucrative uh it's it's definitely difficult to manage the relationship and the demands of you know dealing with multiple places with multiple needs and promotions and things like that and yeah the travel was like a really good opportunity to learn all those um in a really safe environment because they give you so much support more than they would do if you were there in like a real upfront listing where they expect you to know all these sort of terms and um you know all these skews and things like that and yeah it's 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 both of them have their benefits but both of them have their difficulties because you know once it's on the retail shelf there's only so much you can do as a supplier um but yeah it's different challenges and stuff so when you were getting the manufacturer when you were picking a manufacturer to make it and you they were sending you back the product and you were trying it was that kind of a smooth process or were you kind of like whoa that that tastes nothing Uh, like you wanted it to taste sometimes uh, there was one moment when um 
I think it was Mars's lowest point in our tributary <laughs> journey, um, where we got, we thought we were there, we thought we had our final product, and then we got 20 bottles of chimichurri delivered to his house, and they were all just like, they might as well have been like an olive, like a chili oil, in the sense that it was just like oil with a little bit of herbs in, and then we were just like, his face just dropped completely, and we thought we were there, like this is like us hanging out, sort of setting up for like a nice little brunch with our new chimichurri product and yeah it was just like no this is awful and then um but then you know you can just in one step to the next round of samples completely transform everything because you learn every time I mean from that experience we learned that you can't just make our chimichurri and then throw it straight into a bottle you need to put it into the sort of container fridge for about a week or so to sort of let the kind of herbs and oils sort of settle and for the for the herbs to kind of suck in the oil and make it more of like a a thick sort of marinade um so you know you just learn these odd things along the way and yeah it, it we definitely have had some sampling moments which we were like oh my god what is this and yeah but then you know once you get there the, the feeling of achievement is just unreal like you just you're buzzing like there's nothing there's nothing greater than that feeling when you know i walked into sainsbury's for the first time and saw our chimichurri sitting there, you know, near, near, near a Heinz and Hellman's bottles of sauce. And, you know, you're seeing people review it on your Amazons and things like that. And like something that you've made to think it's just rendered, end up in some random pair of hands. Like, I think like the third place we got our chimichurri into was a butcher in Brussels. So to think like, wow. you know, you know, people in Belgium are eating our chimichurri because someone thought there was value in, exporting it from the UK to Belgium to sort of sell the chimichurri in like an artisan butcher I was just like it's mental like getting kind of customer feedback and stuff from people in parts of the UK you've never even heard of it's just yeah it's insane it's insane yeah um, and there's like there's so many lows to starting a food business so those sort of highs you've just really got to enjoy because they 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 the highs are definitely higher than the lows are lower, but the lows definitely happen more frequently than the highs. So um, yeah. you really need to enjoy each one. Do you kind of wake up each day and you're like, oh, like, shit, what's going to happen today? Like, something's going to go wrong or does something go wrong most days? Or like, what's the worst thing that's happened? If you can, <laughs> if you can share. I mean, a low point was definitely being on Dragon's Den. Um, <laughs> like, like the hopes were so high, and yeah, I mean, yeah, that was that was that was the low point. Um, kind of, kind of, kind of getting grilled, and they're like, "What you see on TV is, is really what it's like." Um, it isn't, or uh, it is. It is. It is really like that. Um, and I was actually very surprised by how legitimate it was. Like, they don't know anything about you when you walk through those doors. So, you know, when you do your pitch, it's not like they've read pages and pages about you and they're asking the questions they literally have no idea who you are and they just see you and you see them and it's like you're watching your tv but you're not so that was definitely a low point um and then other low points would be yeah like like negative reviews like we had a bit of a problem last year um with the product um because it's natural we did have a bit of a case of it Ugh, i don't know how to explain it like basically the chimichurri was sort of fermenting and yeah that, that, that was a bit of a challenge to sort of sort out without much money because you know 
a large brand if that sort of thing happened they could sort of just do a massive product recall and we did the best we could and yeah we sorted it out but it was one of the things that was just completely out of your control when it's a natural product like these things can happen and people were very understanding but yeah that was definitely a, a, a stressful moment for us mm. um and it was yeah yeah it was just those sort of things you deal with or like rejection and things like that um but you know when you get accepted into something then yeah the joys are crazy and and you know i i generally suffer from anxiety quite badly so for me i, I definitely feel like it's tough being a business owner in food during a pandemic and i i've learned so much about it like on a personal note and how to sort of train myself into not worrying so much and accepting that you know things can be out of your control and these things always work out and you know once one door closes another one sort of opens like those, those sort of things you just need to keep reminding yourself throughout yeah and you're and are, you've always been you know quite i remember when you went um you did this really intensive training i can't remember where it was though was it in um china and you did oh yeah china yeah yeah what was the training again i completely uh so i went to kung fu monastery for sort of like just shy of 100 days um in like middle china and yeah just kind of training sort of seven eight hours a day in kung fu and meditation and all those sort of things that was kind of yeah that's sort of before i became more conscious of my like anxieties and stuff like that um that was when it was kind of like oh maybe i just get like overexcited or something but yeah no that was that was crazy um yeah, just sort of ended up fighting in the World Kung Fu Championships and getting absolutely taught a lesson by a yeah. guy in Beijing. And um, yeah, videos are definitely out there on the internet somewhere. So, Go find um, them. I remember the, didn't you break your nose? I popped my nose a few times, yeah. Uh, yeah, lots of little injuries, but it's amazing like what you can put your body through and get through. So yeah, similar to that, like I guess same with the mind. Um, you know, it's amazing how with with you know training seven hours a day five days a week you'd think now like you go for a run imagine going on six more runs after that in the same day like you you think it's impossible but then you do it and it's actually kind of possible like you know you see people doing 30 marathons in 30 days you think you know imagine what it's like doing their first marathon and how they felt after that but then you know they get to a stage where they can put their body through 30 marathons in 30 days yeah it's crazy what you can do yeah you've done a marathon as well haven't you yeah yeah i had uh, years ago but yeah, um i remember would love to do it again would love to do it again but uh it's crazy trying to get into that london marathon ballot yeah i don't think marathon is going to be something I'll, I'll put myself through i did a half marathon once and um um let's just say that i will never wear brand new trainers again <laughs> oh, um, no. but do you think that all this training like if we're talking about you know business mindset and all the setbacks you've faced you know giving up wanting to give up maybe do you think all this all this training um has, has helped you and what are the sort of strategies that you've used if you're experiencing anxiety you know because i've sometimes had anxiety as well and definitely meditation for me um helps so especially when you're running a business you know you do need those tools to sort of support you otherwise you could just go into complete yeah yeah big time i mean everyone's different i mean i find that um running is what helps me a lot i mean like you know 
yeah there's different exercises you can do like playing football or going to gym stuff but for me it's it's sort of like long distance running like kind of I, I get into a sort of zone where like I guess you do with your meditation where your brain just kind of clears up and yeah, um, the flow state well, yeah exactly and I get to that stage and yeah put the music on and suddenly I'm not even thinking about how far I'm running or where I'm going it's just kind of just chills you out and then you come back a bit reinvigorated and ready to sort of roll again so yeah it's just kind of it's sort of like a reset button I guess and yeah right now it's you know with spring coming it makes it a lot easier like those winter months when you're you're having like an internal crisis and you're like I need to get out on the street and then you look outside and it's like snowing and you're like okay I still need to do this it's just yeah you've got to learn you got to learn that in the long run it will help you um yeah. even in the short term yeah, yeah everyone's different and it's one of those things where not everything will work for everyone like you know if I do a short distance run for example it stresses me out because I think about how long how um fast I'm running but when it's like a long distance run I'm like oh it doesn't matter how fast I run as long as I do these many kilometers it will be great sort of thing so yeah it's just different things will work for different people and you just got to kind of be open to trying loads of different things to start settling on what works best for you I guess yeah just having the tools to sort of um in the background so that if anything does go wrong um so going back to going back to the whole um let's talk pricing and packaging because you've obviously I think you've just had a rebrand um do you want to talk a little bit about the kind of packaging and how you priced it I know you touched upon it a little bit earlier yeah so I basically when we first started we we kind of because Mark and I met over sort of barbecues and beers and things like that, we we really wanted to sort of, you know, try and bring back that feel to our product. And so we first, well, until two weeks from now, um, have been bottling and beer bottle designs. And um, it was quite cost effective because, you know, beer bottles are kind of cheaper than, you know, your artisan source bottles. Um, so that was definitely a factor in it. But yeah, the main thing was we wanted to kind of bring back the vibe of yeah, beers and barbecues and sort of stand out on the shelves and things because every, everyone sort of uses the same sort of jars and bottles. And, um, you know, we thought, oh, if, if our chimichurri is in a beer bottle, it will stand out on the source shelf. And then slowly learned that it confused people and they actually thought it was beer. I mean, I'm, I'm what, turning 31 and I ran out of chimichurri the other day and I went to um, Whole Foods in Clapham to buy my own chimichurri um, because I needed to send out a sample to someone and then um, I ended up getting ID for it and he was like and I was like what I hadn't been ID for years and then I was like oh my god this just shows the confusion this must cause when people see it in a beer bottle so that was one thing the second thing was that because the sauce is quite thick it doesn't pour out of the bottleneck very well so that's why we've moved to like a very wide bottleneck um, sauce bottle um, so that it can pour out nicely. Um, so those are two things we learned. Like one lady, um, she, I, I don't know how people are so like so invested in startups. But like some, one lady bought our chimichurri in Sainsbury's, God knows which one. And um, she messaged us saying, thought I'd give you some feedback. Your sauce is amazing. Um, if it took you six years to make this amazing sauce, it must have taken you about six minutes to pick what bottle to put in because it's an absolute nightmare to get out. So <laughs> if it wasn't for Sainsbury's um, and random customer 
emails. Like, I don't know, like, I guess they see your email address on the back of your label and then they, um, they actually reach out and it's just amazing. Like, um, that people take the time to sort of give real feedback and stuff. And, um, that definitely pushed us into this rebrand. So yeah, we kind of thought we've had the same bottle for four years. Let's re, re let's bring it back to, you know, 2021 and, um, yeah, change the bottle um jar the store yeah the bottle as well and yeah hopefully it should be ready in a couple of weeks we had a few questions on the labels like all the sort of regulatory approvals you need on the labels around like which ingredients you put percentage marks next to and how you state this and then the claims you make so you know the fact that we are vegan gluten-free and only made from natural ingredients like proving that to the regulators so that you can say that um you know one thing we've always said is born in Buenos Aires made in London because we made the recipe in London but mm. our manufacturer is in North Yorkshire so the regulator said you can't say it's made in London when it's made in North Yorkshire and I'm like oh will anyone really care because the recipe and the story was all made in London um but no they they held strong and yeah so now we've gone from um born in Buenos Aires made in London to born in Buenos Aires uh, uh, made in UK so <laughs> one of those things where it's like oh come on give me a break (laughs) yeah so customer feedback really really important does does most of that come through email is it social media um have you ever had like you know someone just i don't know just really really difficult customers i guess that that was an example um but does does it kind of no that was a that was a great customer yeah no we get feedback usually through email through um word of mouth so for example if we sent it to a butcher they'll be like oh yeah people absolutely love it or um so and so said this and oh it's a bit difficult to pour which is what kind of pushes us to change the bottle and then um yes it's kind of emails amazon reviews that's quite a common one um and yeah kind of random phone calls even like i remember one guy he's i think he was like argentinian himself he was like he was so passionate about it. He actually called us and said, it's a great chimichurri. And we were like, this is really strange for someone to call you um, and tell you. Where's the butt? <laughs> yeah, there was no butt, thankfully. But yeah, it was just like, I think he did do the, the classic butt, your butt was a nightmare. But yeah, it was sort of, it was just, yeah, it's just amazing how people take the time to, you know, I mean, obviously some people will slate your product. Cause yeah, you can't, you can't please everyone. I mean, I remember the funniest review we ever got was, um, so chimichurri is generally used at barbecues. Obviously, we use it everywhere in stir fries or whatnot. But um, and people have been using it in all kinds of ways. But on our Amazon page, it says like original chimichurri, vegan sauce and marinade for barbecues or something like that. And this poor girl had bought it thinking it was a vegan barbecue sauce. And obviously, it's like a it like chimichurri is a similar kind of texture to pesto and for her to think she's going to pour out barbecue sauce from this bowl and then something that looks like pesto comes out of it she gave us a one-star review and said um this isn't like any barbecue sauce i've ever had and that was that was a weird one because because that one affects you hard like you get all these five-star reviews and for every five-star review you get if you get you know one one star review suddenly you're sitting at like a 3.5 so it's like um yeah it's 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 tough when people 
don't kind of realize the impact their reviews will have but equally speaking like people give genuine negative feedback like mm. oh i um it was too spicy and that's the kind of thing that you can use to your benefit because you can be like okay cool or maybe it is too spicy or um you know someone says oh it tastes um you know um quite vinegary you know you can you can sort of think about that in the future and see whether that becomes like a common trait like we had with the um pouring out of the bottles so you know that happened so many times that we were like okay this is genuinely something that we need to sort out now mm -hmm. yeah i think it's important to give you know honest customer feedback i'm i don't personally do it but i think i'm going to start after hearing you um especially like supporting you know startups um but yeah, how, how, how important is packaging since in hindsight packaging and your website like do you think do you wish you'd done the packaging differently or was this just something that you've got to go through because you just are starting your first business it's inevitable that you probably have to make some tweaks yeah i mean i didn't they're like what you're learning on a job so yeah. you know for example mars and i didn't have the background in food so you'd expect the kind of mistakes we make would be around the sort of product design sort of thing like obviously thankfully there's a lot of regulators out there so we can't just go crazy and just like throw random things into a bottle and sell it commercially to people so you know we do we did get all the help we needed but you know things like um someone else might be a very um passionate foodie and they'll start a food business and they'll completely mess up their cash flow budgeting because they don't have a business background or they'll get into a sort of deal that isn't financially viable or they'll misprice their product and you know um put themselves in a position that they can't actually make the cost back sort of thing so yeah it's, it's kind of everyone's going to have their weaknesses and it's just a case of sort of being proactive trying to get as much feedback as you can and learning on the job mm -hmm. um and yeah the beauty of being a startup is you can be nimble so you know you see something we kind of agreed in sort of december time that our bottles were crazy then we got you know some creative industries to design new labels tried a bunch of new bottles got in touch with a manufacturer did a bunch of trials and you know within three months we could have a completely rebranded product i mean i spent 10 days on a website um you know for someone some of the big players if they wanted to change their website and their website domain it would be like a huge fast for them so for us we, we got the ability that you know we can adapt so when you know coronavirus hit um instantly we could move online whereas mm -hmm. people that are dependent on food service and retail they wouldn't be able to just do that at a flick of a finger sort of thing and now that hospitality is going to be huge this summer we're moving our focus onto food service so yeah there's, there's so much out there and yeah it's all a case about listening and not being too proud really not being too proud yeah um i think being a student and just training yourself i guess training yourself in the areas that you're not clued up about beforehand and there's so much information out there on the internet um so if you could have done I guess common pitfalls when starting a business to anyone that is listening. If you could give sort of any advice, this is just an open-ended sort of thing. Any any piece of advice that you um, you've learned, what would that be? Um, yeah, I guess 
if, if it's specific to food, I think, you know, try similar products, look at the market, go to visit as many supermarkets and artisan stores and health stores as you can to see what's sort of out there. Think about, you know, why is your idea not out there or what makes your idea slightly different to someone else's or what's your unique selling point on it? I mean, like we kind of went out there at the start and there was no other chimichurri out there. So we were kind of like, why is there no other chimichurri out there? Like, how has no one done this? And it obviously turns out that it's because it's quite um, difficult to get consistent and in a bottle, um, which is why it took us two years to get that right. And we, you know, it can still be improved. And we have recently tweaked our recipe somewhat to improve it even further. So, you know, you all think, why, why is this like this? And why isn't this there? And that sort of stuff. And then the other key one I'd say is, um, cause you know, we are self-funded, um, I see people doing amazing things when they just go straight to a crowdfunding or a Kickstarter and raise loads of money and go for it properly. And I, I, I appreciate that could be a better way of doing it. We never did that that way. We kind of did it as a sort of genuine passion and hobby project, uh, side project sort of hobby. Um, but yeah, it's one of those ones where it's, it's, it's important to sort of know that you're going to need more money always and try and keep yourself in employment as long as you can um, before taking the plunge try and get your product as ready as possible so that you know things always happen like with this new bottle you know one minute you're like oh it's done and then you're like oh no the bottle cap needs screwing onto a certain torque and we need a new machine to get the exact torque otherwise it's going to be different every time i you know for example would twist the cap sort of thing like sometimes i'll do it harder sometimes i'll do it softer and you, you gotta get that consistency and there's just stuff stuff always slows you down so there's never never you know just yeah try and keep your finite your income going as long as you can because yeah you know if you if you sort of plan that you'll run out of money in three months it might take two months for your product to actually become ready even though you think it's ready and then once you've got your product ready in two months then it takes 30 days for anyone to pay you if you've got sales on the first day so it's just yeah just try there's so much risks involved in starting a business that you want to just basically minimize the risks as far as possible mm-hmm. and and yeah friends and family are definitely great people to sort of get help from and um get support from and you know sometimes they're going to be telling you you're great and then sometimes they're going to be the only people to tell you the honest truth so yeah keep them close yeah and were um all your friends and family kind of behind behind the idea when you started did you get anyone telling you like Koosh, this is just you know you're gonna I guess because it was it was like a passion side project whereas uh, yeah. rather than like a, a full swing um I'm leaving yeah definitely a business yeah I, I'd say they're all supportive like they know I'm passionate about it and know Miles was passionate about it and like um you know when it's a side project sort of thing like we've kept it as it, it's no harm in it i mean it takes up your time it gives you stress um you know if the stress gets too much then it starts affecting other people and yeah it could become a problem but yeah. they've been supportive since day one so um you know those first sales were definitely to friends and family and you know currently i still sell to friends and family and these, those are sometimes the ones i get most nervous about because you know um you want to make them happy and stuff like that so you know if you if you ever if you mess up a delivery day or something like that, they're the ones that, you know, are going to tell you, mate, where's my chimichurri? And you're like, oh no. Um, whereas, you know, a polite 
customer from somewhere else will just send you a gentle nudge if it hasn't arrived and you know if Royal Mail has let you down sort of thing so yeah it's um yeah definitely important. So how important do you think passion is um for starting a business because you've I guess um you're you know to start a business you want to have have a product that you're fully behind but I think some people do start businesses where they just want to start a business for business's sake. But how, how important do you think it is to actually, you know, be completely passionate about the product, like to a, a high percentage? Um, I think it's important because people can sense your passion for the product and they kind of get the energy from you. And um, that, yeah, as a startup brand, that is quite important. So I do think passion is important because, you know, if you're not passionate, you're not going to be sort of, really pushing it that hard then it becomes sort of a business in just trying to make money to provide yourself with a lifestyle and mm. i'd have to say there's easier ways to make money than starting a food business so um yeah, uh, yeah if that if it is purely just like on a business idea then you know it can work and maybe yeah if you're not passionate about it that much the sort of low points won't be as low because you don't take personal pain from it um but then you know the highs won't be as high either so um i do think it's definitely important but i can also appreciate that people can do it without the passion i guess it's kind of like you know like being a sportsman or something like while you still got the passion you can keep going and one day you'll wake up and you're just kind of over it and that's when you know you got to stop and i think it'll be the same with chimichurri like you know if, if it if it blows up and it's amazing then great if it doesn't then you just got to know that one day you might have to just kind of close the door because yeah either you made some errors along the way or you're not the right person to do it and you know I still don't even know the answer for that with myself so we'll get there yeah and so are you still just as in love with chimichurri as when you started or kind of are you like oh god I'm sick of this sauce now (laughs) uh i definitely am as excited i think i'm more excited about it if anything i mean back then it was so exciting to sort of like yeah get people because at the start you spend when you get into that sort of whole foods one of the best things about whole foods is the fact that you end up doing loads of sampling sessions so you just go in there they give you a table give bring one of your chimichurri cantina aprons and um start giving random people in the public your product and then they'll just stop and have a chat with you and there was so much fun meeting all these people obviously right now it's a bit difficult with coronavirus because you can't just go out there I mean there are marketplaces around but mm. it's just not it's, it's not really worth the risk on a personal level to go out to these markets and you know speak through um a face mask to people and um I think my time's better spent online on the phone so um yeah it's um definitely as passionate about chimichurri definitely eat it as much as i used to and definitely yeah i mean uh, i'll see pictures of chimichurri online i'll get excited of other mm-hmm. chimichurris and stuff and yeah definitely the passion still there nice i mean i yeah i think that it's important to have a passion and in the end i think you'll always if you if you like a certain food product at the start it's very rare that you'll actually go off it unless you kind of just obsessively put it on anything and everything so um yeah what's next in in the future for you i know you said you're trying to get into um retail food service 
so, yeah, we, we want to become like the white label chimichurri. So our chimichurri is currently already being used as, um, you know, the chimichurri at Whole Foods for their marinated steak. So obviously they don't say it's cantina, but it is. So that is quite a nice little business. Um, and, you know, with the hospitality sector opening up again, we really want to try and get into as many sort of restaurants and, um, yeah, sort of festival vans and things like that as possible. So, so you're sorry. So, Whole Foods are serving your chimichurri on their hot um, food, like on in their deli counter in their, their deli, deli sort of thing. Oh, amazing! So, so yeah, that's the kind of thing that's great because you know, um, it's a constant flow of business. Because unlike retail bottles, though, where they all repurchase it whenever um, they run out, with sort of food service, they need to always have the supply because it's always on the menu, sort of thing. So they'll buy from you constantly and regularly sort of thing yeah yeah and it's just consistent order okay um yeah exactly so you're going to carry on trying to get into you know other other kind of um i don't know anywhere that's going to just stock your sauce but it won't be like this is cantina brand it will just be you know, their own yeah it'll be, it'll be kind of thing like you go to university um cafe and they have a I don't know. Or like you go to a Weatherspoons and they do a steak and chimichurri with chips and it just happens to be our chimichurri because they don't have the energy or the time to make their own. Yeah. Ah, clever. So for anyone listening that wants to get their hands on your products, where can yeah. they get it? Where can they get it and how can they find out more or like ask you a question? Um, yeah, just... Um, so our Instagram handle is um, at Cantina UK. Uh, website is now cantinauk.com. And yeah, you can kind of find it on um, either through our Instagram or through our um, website. Get through to sort of your Amazon, your Whole Foods, your Artisan Butchers that we are stocked in. And um, yeah, that's probably the best way to find us, website or Instagram. Cool. Any festivals as well? Are, they, are you going to be popping up any like Borough Market or...? Uh, we'll see. We'll see. We we did a few markets in um, St. Paul's last year, which was really fun. But um, I think I'm going to let this COVID stuff settle down a little bit and then deal with it, um, yeah. get back out there afterwards. <laughs> and are you planning on going back to um, South America, Argentina? You know, with, oh, yeah. With your sauce. <laughs> there's, def- there's definitely another gap year left in me. Oh, my God. I would so love to go on another gap year. <laughs> Um, well, listen, Kush, it's been so awesome having you on my podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. And I can't wait to follow Cantina and see what you get up to this year. Thanks for having me. And I'll speak soon. Thank you so much. Take care.